Hi, I'm Dr. Pam Peek, and welcome to episode 414 of Her, the podcast where you're going to hear the truth about her mind, her body, her life, and today, her fun. That's right. It's her fun time. Oh my gosh, I'm just loving every moment of this. So yeah, you do deserve to have fun. Now, come on now. Before we begin this fabulous episode, just know that the show is sponsored by Solaray Vitamins. That's S-O-L-A-R-A-Y Vitamins. And you know what it's like, ladies. You try to eat all your little veggies and fruits and everything, and nothing happens. It's just the whole thing is a cluster all day long, and you're just chasing your tail. So we got to fill in some gaps here. So the liposomal multivitamins will help fill in some of those nutritional gaps because we're just human beings. I know, I know it's hard to accept. So run on over to solaray.com and learn more. Here's your first reminder to click on iTunes after the episode and rate and review the show because my team and I are just sitting around going like this, waiting to hear from you. We got little thumbs going round and round and round. All right, it's time for Her. Her. The podcast. The naked truth about women. Her mind. Her body. Her life. It's all about Her. Now introducing our wonderful guest, Dr. Mike Rucker. Mike, welcome aboard. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Awesome. Well, this is all about a book. Oh, look, I got the book right here. Look at the little lucky person that I am. And the book is called The Fun Habit, How the Pursuit of Joy and Wonder Can Change Your Life. Yeah, it can. So don't argue with me, damn it. All right. So... (laughs) Mike is pretty amazing. I just love this. Off his Twitter feed is in no particular order. Author, father, husband, organizational psychologist, behavioral scientist, recovering entrepreneur, fitness enthusiast, yay, with mechanical parts, hmm, all right, VW bus aficionado, and then seeker, traveler, future astronaut. Okay, that's my kind of guy. I'm just, you know, I'm going to say... I've got like a whole thing for people who do things like this. So, Mike, tell us about your background. How did you get here to this point where you're writing this amazing book? Yeah, so to back up a little bit, I got interested in positive psychology when a lot of the figureheads in that area had put together a consortium called the International Positive Psychology Association. You know, obviously people had been looking at it before then, but I Figureheads like Cheek Set Me High, who some folks might be familiar with Flow. He's kind of the godfather of that. Another gentleman by the name of Marty Seglerman that has some good books about happiness. They come together with a bunch of other academics and created this sort of tribe, as it were. And I got early access. I was a charter member of that association and really drank from all the wisdom that came And it's still coming from that discipline. And for folks that don't know what positive psychology is, it's essentially a facet of psychology that's meant to be used for betterment. Before we had that word, psychology had really been thought of, you know, tools to treat poor mental hygiene and and clinical conditions and things of that nature. And so I think what had happened from that period, like many people, I was aggressively pursuing happiness, right? And so Now we have a term for that, toxic positivity, right? But back then, I think we were still wearing our good vibes only shirts and things of that nature. And 
Long story short, a lot of those tools had been fairly successful, but I had essentially overprescribed on them and had a couple unfortunate events happen to me. My younger brother passed away quite suddenly from a pulmonary embolism. And then the mechanical parts thing that you mentioned, after being a lifelong runner, found out that I likely had an undiagnosed injury and had to get an early hip replacement, which essentially meant I couldn't run again. And so I had been pretty Pollyanna up to that point, and there were these big, heavy things I needed to deal with, but I essentially thought I could, you know, will myself to being happy again. And the more that I chased happiness, paradoxically, I was becoming more unhappy. And now we know why, right? The work of Dr. Iris Mouse out of Cal and a bunch of others have found that not necessarily valuing happiness, because I think that's a great thing. We all want people to be happy. We all want them to flourish. But folks that have this overly concern about happiness, especially their own happiness and ruminate in that, tend to sort of CBT in reverse, right? You start to ruminate in a way that makes you unhappy. And so my awakening was, well, okay, great. All these tools that had been so successful at kind of living the good life were essentially counterproductive. You know, what could I do from there? And what I found was that you can still go and seek out joy and delight no matter what your circumstance, even if at that point you're not, you know, in an emotional state to be quote unquote happy the way we describe happiness in the West, right? And then I unpack some of the other challenges, right? When we start to quantify happiness on a scale of zero to 10, what happens when you reach that 10, right? Like inherently, you know, if there's anything that sort of knocks you off that peak, you start to identify as being less happy than you want to be, which we know becomes quite problematic. And so the way that I define the construct of fun is really just anything that you're actually enjoying. And you do have the agency and autonomy to either architect things in a way that you find joyful or choose those activities based on having some time affluence, you know, some control domain over how you spend your time. And if you're mindful of that, you really can steer the ship in the right direction. And it becomes more invigorating, more renewable, rather than always chasing happiness. I love this whole discussion as we're kind of getting into this, because people think certain things will make them happy. There's no question about it. Like, I'm going to get that MD. I'm going to get that PhD. I'm going to get that JD. And I will be happy. No, 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 no. It opened up a bunch of doors, but oh, no. (laughs) Happiness is a very different kind of thing. If you want to see happy, look at a child's face. That's happy. Right. But children are also playing. And this is why I love in chapter two, it said time to play. All right. So Wanda Sykes is the first quote you have. I'm here today because I refused to be unhappy. I took a chance. I love that. That's very cool. So now what you have is, I love this little diagram you have of a play model, pleasing, living, agonizing, yielding. (laughs) And what is it like to play? And one of the things I remember is a colleague of mine wrote a book about the adult recess We need a recess. We do. Drop all of the things that you're doing and run outdoors and throw a ball or something. You know, just have fun, play. And I think that so many adults have just forgotten what the heck that is. And why is play so important? And what role does it fulfill in this whole world of happiness? Yeah, I think 
whether it's the construct of play, which is really, you know, an activity or just finding fun in what you do, whatever that is, play or a hobby or connection with loved ones or, you know, your pet or whatever it is. We know from this concept, the hedonic flexibility principle is that when we're not enjoying what we're doing, whether that's work or, you know, the leisure time that we have, we end up being depleted. And so, The problem there is that it's insidious. Like you said, if we're not taking time off for ourselves, whether we want to call that recess or transition ritual from work to time that's meant for us, whatever it is, if you're not taking control, agency over how you spend your time, you end up burning out. And the problem is it happens over time. We talk about either it being a downward spiral, an upward spiral, right? And if you continually are not really enjoying what you're doing, either at work or outside of work, you're going to get depleted. And we know that there's a whole host of physiological and psychological negative outcomes that come from that. The converse of that is that once you start enjoying yourself, you know, whether that's through leisurely play, whether that's through making sure that you're taking time to kind of escape work, whether that's reorganizing your work so it's actually enjoyable. It's a cliche, you know, enjoying the journey, not the destination. That's because the destination's fleeting, right? And so how can you organize time in a way where you're actually enjoying it? Because what we found is that people that are actually enjoying their time have the resilience to show up for the hard things with more vigor and vitality. And so that's one benefit. The second is because your fun cup, quote unquote, is full, you also invite harder challenges. So that's also where growth lives, right? So it's a, it's a one-two punch in the sense that you're able to actually paradoxically be more productive when you're actually enjoying yourself, taking time for renewal, finding breaks within your schedule to actually enjoy yourself. And you seek out things that are harder, so you actually grow more. And that's what's been insidious here in the US, right? It's so many of us derive our self-worth from productivity, that even outside of being productive, whether we call that admin work, whether we call that, you know, some people are calling it busy because busy work doesn't really lead, doesn't move the needle, but it makes you feel good because you displace that discomfort by kind of looking at your spam folder. Like that's not really work, right? In fact, I was just talking to a physician this morning that called it pajama time, right? Because that's like EMRs have created such busy work for physicians that they're not getting paid for that, but they're having to communicate with patients because of the extra burden that EMRs puts on them. So depending on your vocation, that could be insidiously eating up your schedule, whatever that is, that means we need to be more mindful of creating those bumper rails so we can play, so we can have fun, so we can invite those things in that really light us up so we have the energy to do the harder stuff. It's almost like you want to kind of change your perspective a little bit so it becomes more, as it were, play-centric. So if you actually look at the longevity studies, and I point to a boatload of them that have been published, we find that as people who have been very successful at becoming robust centenarians, they literally have built into the fabric of their life Tons of playtime, which also brings me back to one of my most favorite quotes from George Bernard Shaw, which you know. And we don't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing. That always echoes in the back of my head when I read these studies, when you see older people hanging out, 
having a good time. And there's no one like saying, oh, were you productive? Of course they're productive. They've been productive all their life, but they've also had this beautiful, and I use the word balance very carefully. I'm not talking 50-50 or any of this ridiculousness. I like the word blend now. Yeah, I love blend. I love that because then you can define what's blending for you I'm going to define it for me because what it takes for me to feel joyful and happy may be either more or less than what it takes for you. And I'm good with that. Everyone's unique and that's the way it rolls. I completely avoid any of these weird algorithms out there because they're meaningless to me. We're just human beings and we're trying to figure it out as we go along. But the issue of play is so terribly important. Now, I define it all kinds of fun ways. I mean, I can play in my garden. I'll have sweat pouring down and, you know, I'll have thorns in my head and, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff going on. But for me, it's play. I'm also a, an athlete. So for my idea of playing, it is probably torture for other people, but I love it, you know, and I could play with my kettlebell all day and I'm a triathlete, so I could do all that stuff. To me, it's like, hey, let's play. It's like me as a little girl saying to the kids in the neighborhood, let's hit our bicycles, you know? And I think people just need to respect the role of play in our whole construct of happiness. When's the last time you laughed to death? Just laugh and laugh and laugh and just, you felt like you were just vital. When's the last time that happened? You know, the old saying that, you know, a kid laughs on average about 300 times a day and, and a human adult is like 10. Yeah, 17, I believe. The commonality I found there too is connection. Looking at the same longevity studies, it's clear that even if you're an introvert, it doesn't necessarily need to be connected with people, although it's clear that that's an important component. But if you're playing with a hobby, if you're playing with nature, as you mentioned, with gardening, whatever that connection is, makes us feel like we're a part of something bigger. And when we don't have that aspect of our lives, right, then we internalize all of our problems. And at an individual level, right, kind of the metaphor of if we make ourselves the center of the universe, then of course, our personal problems are humongous. But when you realize that you're part of a bigger system and that bigger system is friendly, you know, you, there's enjoyment there. there. To your point, there's laughter there. There's connection. It fills you up. What we call in psychology positive valence, these things attract you to them and, and vice versa. Then all of a sudden, some of your bigger problems aren't as big in that context because you are part of this bigger system. And so you can reflect on things that might have really been weighing heavy on you and realize that, okay, maybe in context, they're not as important as I thought they were. I love the issue of connection. It reminds me that just recently, here's what they found was number one secret to making us happy in life, ergo helping us live longer, was what? It was called social fitness. And to your point, absolutely, you were spot on. If you don't have those social connections, they found the social connections, this doesn't mean you have like throngs at the door. It just means that you have a small number of people for sure in your life who you really deeply connect with, where you have meaning and purpose in your relationship, maybe for quite some time, whatever. But that connection is actually equal to or more important than getting up and doing your exercise every day. 
That's how powerful those numbers were in that study. And so you need mental fitness, physical fitness, and social fitness to be able to bring it all together for that issue of lifelong fulfillment and happiness. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree. I think it sort of backs up my thesis in the sense that it is that connection. And it's also the intimacy of those connections, right? I think a lot of us are sort of tricked to believe that we have connection through things like social media, right? But we know through Dunbar's work that that's just not true. Like our intimate connections, to be able to maintain those, his magic number is 150, I'm sure to your point, you know, it's more based on the individual, but making sure that you foster those connections, play and fun are a great way to make sure those happen. Like, are you calling your friends and making sure that you guys are connecting at a level where you're able to create that empathy between those two, which leads to emotional flexibility, which we know is one of the building blocks of resilience. So all these things are extremely important and fun is a great fertile ground for those things to grow. I love the fact that you said, are you keeping up with those relationships? There's a wonderful um, book I'm sure you've heard about or read. It's called The Five Regrets of the Dying. Yes, yes. Ronnie Ware's work. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And you don't have to read the whole book. Actually, there's like a P- one-page PDF. It gives you the five regrets. But the very first one was I didn't keep up with my friends. And it's a horrible regret. It's like, hey, what was going on there? People oftentimes deprioritize, I'll, I'll get to it, whatever. And then five years go by and you're like, what happened there? Quote, unquote, it's work to keep up. What I do on a daily basis in my journaling is I have, you know, my daily intentions. At least one person who, you know, I really need to catch up with, did I connect with that person And that's like a daily intention every single day. Or it could be, did I circle back with this one person because they're maybe needing some help or whatever. It's something that has to be front of mind to be able to maintain that social fitness. So it's very much like, did I remember to go to the gym today? Did I remember to go to the grocery store and pick up nice, healthy produce? Did I also keep up with my relationships? All of those, you know, melded together really make for a much greater probability that you're going to have a happier life because there's nothing in the world, this is just me, but there's nothing in the world that feels better than being of service to someone else, especially when they need you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've kind of exposed the secret sauce in doing my research. The people that are the most happy are the ones that are premeditated about it. And so It just requires a little bit of work, but there is that inherent not fun thing of like, wait, so I have to, you know, actually think a little bit ahead of time. But oftentimes it's that cognitive load. I often use the metaphors for people that are living with their partner. Just remember those nights when you can't decide what you want for dinner and how you'll waste like an hour and a half and ultimately you kind of settle, right? And for people that sort of plan out how their week is going to go, they don't waste that admin time and they get a lot more done. Well, the same can go with the strategy that you just explained or just even creating a list of like, what do you want to do and who do you want to do it with? And then taking that couple extra minutes and inviting that person to your point through the lens of kindness and service is a great thing because nine times out of 10, especially if they are your friend, you're going to accept it and be so grateful that you took the initiative. 
And the other headwind that I see a lot, especially you know, in this new era of the sandwich generation where so many people were having kids later, I just turned 50 and so many of us had kids later and our parents are living longer, right? So we, a lot of us kind of had this sense of guilt because we are taking care of all of our loved ones. Well, I can't find time because right now I'm coming from the sense of duty. Well, the irony there is if you're not taking a little bit of time off the table for yourself, when you show up to take care of those loved ones, oftentimes you don't have the resilience or the emotional flexibility to be a good steward of that relationship. And so there's something called social contagion. When you're so burnt out that there's, you know, you're kind of living a joyless life, then those moments also are depleting, right? And it really becomes this insidious downward spiral. So we're not talking about a lot, right? There's only 168 hours in a week. If you can't identify two to three hours a week where you're actually using your autonomy to capture that time and do things that you really want to do, then it's likely that other areas in your life, if you do have that slant, like I just can't do it because I have to do these things. Okay, that's fine. If that's the lens that you're using, know that you're not the best version of yourself for that. So actually have fun for the ones that you're serving so that you can show up and steward that relationship as the best version of yourself. And that one's a hard pill to swallow. But what I find is that once you can get someone to integrate fun back in, it only takes two to three weeks, right? Behavior change is always tough, right? So the first week, uh, you know, oh, I don't like the fact that my rhythms and routine have kind of, you know, been disrupted. But once they realize that I just show up the next day much better, it becomes an easy sell. And then that upward spiral happens. And so anyone that's still resistant to it, one, I would suggest unpack why. Like, why would you be resistant to actually enjoying yourself a few hours a week? And then two, remind yourself how you feel Monday morning when you've really taken a true sort of weekend break. And so, the, you know, once you have that sort of mindset shift, it becomes a little bit easier. It's weird that we're in a state in the U.S. that it does really require a radical corrective, right? You can just look at all the stats, right? I mean, my academic work is with physicians. Burnout this year is at the highest it's ever been, right? 63% of physicians are burnt out. We're second to last with regards to giving leisure in the developed world, right? There's only one country worse than us, Micronesia, right? We have 10 days for one year's worth of work. They have nine. And then what's even worse is that 50% of U.S. employees don't even take that time, right? So we're so fun starved, and yet we don't draw the line between why do we have these record levels of burnout? Because, you know, I think for a lot of us, we're kind of still stuck in that Protestant Puritan work ethic, right? Our self-worth is derived from thinking that we're productive or through service. I'm curious, is there a difference between men and women on this? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So now tell me about that because this is the Her podcast. So let's go to the Her place. Yeah, I was ready for that. So for one, for wives in heterosexual relationships that are working, it's some of the worst, right? Because they're the most time poor. When you look at time use studies, they have the least amount of free time. You know, we talk about time poverty and time affluence being highly correlated to happiness scores. Unfortunately, there was parity with regards to gender relationships going into the pandemic. The pandemic kind of exploded that, unfortunately. I think old social norms were sort of reestablished. It's clear, again, as a generalization, a lot of women 
felt like they had to take on the domestic duties of children being at home. And that kind of just walked back some advances. Hopefully that course corrects itself. But what we do know is that they're some of the most time poor people. Even that said, generally most people have at least two hours in their day that they can reclaim. And I think right now it's really important to especially for folks in domestic partnerships to talk to their partner and say, hey, I need a little bit of time where I have control to decide what I want to do with that time. And studies suggest that the folks with a limited amount of time have two hours. If you don't believe that, again, just play with two or three out of the week and see how that makes you feel. I think as a generalization, there is a lot more sense of guilt because women tend to have more empathy. And so they feel like they're letting down their partners and their loved ones when they do exchange time that could potentially be of service for something that seems self-serving. And again, it's clear from the science that that's the contrary. Like if you actually do enjoy some time for yourself, you will show up in those opportunities to serve in a better place. But that's a hard sell, right? Because we tend to think short-term and not long-term. And so in the short-term, well, I could either be caring for my mother or I could go to a movie. Like, that's not who I am. I'm going to go care for my mom. Well, over time, maybe you'll burn out. Maybe you'll feel resentful. Whatever it is, like, you need to sort of check in with yourself. Like, are you really enjoying what you're doing? Or could you reorganize your time in a way that's more invigorating so that the things that you do, quote-unquote, have to do you can show up as a better version of yourself. And guess what? The byproduct is you could also have fun too. It's a weird paradigm that we're in where the folks that aren't enjoying things at all also don't have the energy to actually do the things. So again, you know, I talk about this metaphor as a downward spiral where people that at least take a little bit of time off the table for themselves are then able to show up the next day and be more productive. So they actually get more done and then they're enjoying themselves as well. Again, the, you know, the scientific principle behind that is the hedonic flexibility principle. And so you know, the countries in the EU are getting it, right? Like companies are shutting down email servers at Friday at five, so you can't send work emails on the weekend. So there's not that cue, right? Like, oh, okay, well, this email's from my boss, I've got to look at it. Some EU countries in earnest are trying four-day work weeks, right? And I think just there's this general empathy of protecting leisure time in other countries that we don't have. We kind of look at it from the other lens. Like I've got this sense of duty to protect the people I work with. So I'm going to be more of a martyr about it than I should. Instead of, again, it being the opposite where we're all trying to sort of support each other's well-being, as it were. It's almost like you have to be your own advocate in many respects. And I think that a lot of people have issues with limits and boundaries. And so everything becomes blurred and back and forth. And so it's hard. You also talk about, you said, the pursuit of joy and wonder. So give us a little bit of an understanding of joy and wonder, because we've talked about happiness and play. Joy and wonder, how do they fit in? Joy is essentially the byproduct of having fun, right? So we have discussed that already. 
for wonder and awe, it's really how do you create those moments of spontaneity? And oftentimes, again, we talked about in busy adult lives, it does require creating those opportunities, which again, there's that paradox, right? Like if you're never doing anything, if you're not getting out in nature, if you're not having adventures with your loved ones, if you're not finding time to, for some, to your point, it's really up to the individual exploring your spirituality, exploring whatever it is, mastering a craft, you're not going to experience the benefits of that intimate connection with whatever it is. And that's where you can find these moments of wisdom and transcendence that really lead to self-growth. And when you're deprived of those, again, it goes back to Bronnie Ware's work, right? You go back and you've essentially served someone else. You've given all of your time, whether you were kind of tricked by, you know, the carrots of meritocracy or whatever it is, you look back and there's no time left, right? And so a lot of this is really trying to make sure that you don't fall victim to that. But to answer your question discreetly, those opportunities, like if you're looking for a twist of fate, you really have to be the one that's twisting. So if you don't create the space for spontaneity to thrive, you're never going to be have these opportunities to invite things like awe and wonder in, which are really special feelings that we can have. And I love the spontaneity. I mean, it could be my walking my German shepherds in the forest and we see deer. It's so beautiful and just magnificent looking. It's a spontaneous, there it is. You put yourself in a great position to be able to, to see that. You know, when Bronnie wears five regrets of the dying, one of them was, if you know, I'm obviously paraphrasing, but it was, I did not allow myself to be happy. Yeah, I don't even think you're paraphrasing, or you're pretty close, but essentially an ode to autonomy, right? I didn't do the things that I wanted to do. And so not to move quickly, to finish up the thing about awe and wonder, what we know too is if we allow ourselves to get too busy, then we sort of experience what Dan Gilbert and Matthew Killingsworth call mind wandering, right? We're always sort of in our head, chewing on our own problems, worrying about things that are really self-focused. And so if you can't calm that down, then you don't create the calm and space in your mind to invite those things in that really allow you to be connected to something outside of yourself. With regards to autonomy of time, you look at any time affluent study and it's clear that time is really the only finite resource that we have, right? It's not a man-made construct like other things. And so at least paying some ode to that, the factual nature that time is finite allows us to make better choices. But if you don't, then oftentimes you can sort of erode all the opportunities for joy and delight in your life, which is really unfortunate. So as you've already mentioned, being premeditated and understanding how important it is and creating those bumper rails, oftentimes for folks that are victim of overwork, I call them transition rituals. Like when are you allowing yourself to say, okay, my productivity for the day is done. This is time that I'm going to use for either self-care, for betterment, for things that I really want to do. Again, all of those things that Bronnie talks about, right? Well, I'm just, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking to myself, already on my joy and happiness list of intentions is today the new Picard, Jean-Luc Picard from Star Trek, the new Picard is dropping, and it's got a reunification of all the original characters who were on the second generation, and I'm so excited I can't stand myself. Am I going to be productive? Hell no. Am I going to be having fun with my family and friends? 
Heck yeah, there you go. It's as easy as that. Now, as we wind this together, all of this wonderful information, you gifted the readers with six words. It's chaos. Be kind. Have fun. Explain. So I took that from Patton Oswalt. His wife, McNamara, had said, it's chaos, be kind. It's an ode to that connection that for a lot of us, there are going to be slings and arrows of life, right? For me, it was the loss of a brother. For some people, again, it might be a hardship. We're going to lose loved ones. We're going to lose jobs. Some of us are going to face divorce. We're all going to have challenges because there's a component of life where there are dark lessons, right? And so that sort of six words, the first two is meant that it's not good vibes only, no matter what you think. If you sort of skirt that fact and don't realize that there are going to be times where you need to process, you need to mourn, you need to understand what life has thrown at you and sort of unpack the wisdom and build that emotional flexibility. If you don't pay ode to the fact that some of life is chaos, then it can be problematic. Be kind is that connection, again, right? What we talked about Robert's work. When we approach life with empathy, when we're trying to serve, we release oxytocin, not just dopamine. We're not just pleasure-seeking animals, right? We're actually a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. And so we feel better about that. And it's clear that that's not just good for psychological mental hygiene. It also has a whole host of positive physiological effects. And then, like I said, I think similar to how now described sleep deprivation as an asinine sort of badge of honor that we used to wear in the 90s, being fun and leisure deprived needs a similar corrective because we know folks that aren't at least enjoying a little bit of the time that they have here on earth are getting depleted. Again, that's why you see this epidemic of loneliness, burnout. And so having a little bit of fun, even if you have to find it, in the things that you're already doing by reorganizing the architecture of either the environment, the people you're doing it with, or the activities that you're doing, playing with those variables so that you're at least enjoying life a little bit is really important so that you keep good health. And we just know that from, as you mentioned, so many studies, yet so many of us aren't doing it. And so you know, again, it's not this profound thing, but for whatever reason right now in the zeitgeist, it is a radical idea. It's chaos. Be kind. Have fun. I just love that. And that's one of my biggest takeaways. Everyone out there on the Herb Podcast land, we're talking about this wonderful new book, The Fun Habit, How the Pursuit of Joy and Wonder Can Change Your Life by our fabulous guest, Dr. Mike Rucker. And Mike, how can they buy the book? How can they learn more about your work? Oh, thank you so much. So the book's available anywhere that you enjoy purchasing books at your local bookstore or Amazon or online retailer. And then I write about the science of fun at michaelrucker.com. Oh, fantastic. And, and they can learn more about your work and work with other people as well. Mike, I can't thank you enough for being on the Herb Podcast because, well, quite frankly, girls just want to have fun. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, everyone out there, please run on over to michaelrucker.com, learn more about Dr. Rucker's 
fabulous work. And again, the book is The Fun Habit, How the Pursuit of Joy and Wonder Can Change Your Life. Okay, now run on over to iTunes right now and rate and review the episode because my team and I are waiting to hear from you. Mm, Shaking my little finger at you. And another huge shout out to Solaray.com, Solaray Vitamins, our wonderful sponsor for the show. Learn more about those liposomal multivitamins for women, solaray.com. Ah, well, what an episode. Listen, I'm Dr. Pam Peak. I'm host of the Herb Podcast. Please follow me on Facebook at Dr. Pam Peak or Twitter and Instagram at Pam Peak MD. And remember to catch every single episode of the Herb Podcast on all the little platforms, including Radio MD, iTunes, Spotify, and all the rest of them. And listen, thanks for being here with us today. We really enjoyed having you. Stay safe and stay well.